So, you know, kids are smart. Kids are very smart. They're, they're rather intuitive, and it's not easy, as much as we might think it is, to get something past your kids. And uh, last year, uh, well, I guess it was early this year, this time of year, we had tornadoes come by uh, just a little bit north of us. You guys remember that. We're, we're all watching James Spann and hearing the sirens and, and paying close attention to, to what's happening. And we're with our kids, and, uh, and they're seeing some of this too, and, and obviously a little concerned about what's going on. And so, of course, we're leading them and saying we, we need to pray to the Lord and ask that he would keep us safe and keep our friends and family safe. And, and we did, and that was good, but, you know, there's something intuitive going on in their minds as, as we've taught them that God is in control, that God is big and strong and mighty, and they see these tornadoes on the screen and see these photos, and we're saying, let's pray for God to keep us safe from them. And, and, and you know what one of my children said is, why doesn't God just stop the tornado? And, of course, that's the right question, isn't it? I mean... We could say, well, God's not in control of that, but then is God who we say God is, right? There's, there's, this, there's this intuitive knowledge that if God is who we say he is, if he's really in control, then he's in control of that storm right now. So why don't we just ask him to stop it completely? What, what, where did it come from? The, didn't God make the tornado? Those are the kinds of questions that kids quickly jump to when you're trying to explain to them how we should pray for God to keep us safe. They know they know that, that if God is able to stop the storm, that means God somehow must be in control of the storm and that he's guiding the storm. Kids know that just intuitively as you teach them who God is. And yet when we face, whether it's literal storms or, or other types of trials or, or situations in our own lives, you know, we, we quickly go to saying, let's pray that God gets us out of this storm safely, or let's pray that God keeps us safe from this. But what we're forgetting often is not only, because it's true, God can deliver us, God can keep us safe, God can get us out of the storm, but we're forgetting something, that God is the one who led us into the storm. God is the one who put it there in the first place. God is the one that's sovereign over that storm in our lives. And when we really realize that, not only that God can get me out of this, but that God put me in this, well, that's either a terrifying thought, or it can be an extremely comforting thought. And my prayer this morning is that that will be a comforting thought to us, that God is the one who puts us in the storms. He, he, he sets the storms on a straight course for our lives, because he has a good purpose for us in them. And not only do we need to pray and can pray, God, please deliver us from this, but we can pray, God, what are you doing in this right now in my life? Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 8. We're looking at verses 23 through 27. Church, I want to tell you that after the Sermon on the Mount, which I know we went through very slowly, I was, I was ready like, to pick up the pace in Matthew. We were going to start taking large swaths of narrative and, and working through this book a little faster, and every week I just can't do it. I'm, I'm studying. It's just like there's so much there. I can't. I need to stop. We need to stop and see this. And, and so we are continuing to crawl along in this book but we're crawling and seeing, I believe, amazing, important, significant things. This passage is one of those texts. Let me just remind you uh, that Jesus has been healing 
people. Jesus has been performing healings all day and all night, and, and now a crowd has formed. And last week we saw that he is about to leave. He's get, the disciples have gotten a boat ready. Crowds are following him. People want to become his disciple. And last week we saw that Jesus said to these would-be disciples, he, he said, don't, don't follow me if you've not considered what it's going to cost, if you've not considered the kind of life that you're going to lead if you follow me. And don't follow me if you're not completely committed to the mission of Christ. Well, our passage begins today and we see the ones who considered and committed themselves following Jesus. Verses 23 to 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Well, this is a story that if you grew up in church at all, you probably heard that Jesus calmed a storm. And on the face of it, it is a demonstration of Jesus' power to calm a storm and then reveals who he is. But the key, I think, this morning to understanding what's going on in this story and in the disciples, the disciples and their following of Jesus is a key element of this story. It begins by telling us they followed him. These disciples are the ones who followed him. We need to see this morning that there's more than just a storm going on. We need to see that this passage actually shows us two different storms that are happening, two types of storms that are happening in this passage. We see the first one, again, pretty clearly. The, the disciples get into a boat to follow Jesus, and, and immediately they find themselves in a great storm. They're in the Sea of Galilee. The storms were known to happen. These guys, at least some of them, were fishermen. They, they knew how to navigate the sea, and yet they find themselves in a great storm. And this storm was so significant that the boat is being swamped by the waves. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but I know that boats are supposed to be above the water, not below the water. And here the boat is continually being swamped by the waves, waves crashing over the boat, and the disciples are terrified. This is, this is a significant storm. This is a life-threatening storm. They, they say they're perishing. So this, this is a significant storm, which makes what Jesus is doing all the more shocking. He is asleep. Jesus is underneath asleep. When I was a kid, uh, I went deep sea fishing with my extended family in Florida, and we went out on the Atlantic Ocean in, in a fairly small fishing boat, and a storm rolled in while we were out there. And it was pretty scary. And uh, my dad and I went down underneath. There was just this little spot for uh, just to sleep. Not, not a big area at all. But you know what we didn't do down there? We didn't sleep. We, we couldn't sleep. We were, we were hanging on and being bounced up and down and jostled all around and praying that God would keep us safe. We did not sleep on those beds, though. And yet here's Jesus underneath in this boat, sleeping through this terrifying storm that even these experienced fishermen are afraid of. And so the disciples, they they know enough about Jesus at this point to to say, if if anyone's going to save us, it's him, right? I mean, we've seen him do some amazing things. Let's, Let's wake him up 
let's ask him to save us. They, they wouldn't have woken me up, right? They wouldn't have said, save us, Phil, we're perishing. They would just let me sleep if that was me. But they, they, they know enough about Jesus to say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. You can do something about this. And I just want to stop there and, and notice that there's two storms going on in this passage. There, there, there's the storm itself, there's the, there's the external storm, there's the winds, there's the waves, there's, there's the, the lightning and thunder, all that was part of the storm, the, the waves crashing over the boat, and then that external storm was doing something to the disciples, wasn't it? It was, it was making them afraid, it was making them terrified. That external storm was, was causing this internal storm in their hearts of fear, battering their hearts, just like the waves were battering the boat. That, that external storm is creating this internal storm, church. And, and here's where I want to begin applying this message. We, we might not ever find ourselves in a literal storm on a boat like the disciples did, but we find ourselves facing many sorts of external storms in our lives. Just to define this for us, what, is it, what do I mean by external storm? I think it's anything that threatens our sense of well-being or good or life, anything on the outside of us, any situation we find ourselves in that threatens our sense of health and life and well-being and good is an external storm. And so think about what those things might be. Just think about our own church and our own time we live in right now. It could be the storm of a pandemic. It's the storm of societal upheaval that we're seeing. It could be the storm of a struggling marriage. It could be the storm of rebellious children. It could be the storm of a difficult job. It could be the storm of financial insecurity. All of these are just examples of the kinds of storms we might find things happening on the outside of us that threaten our lives, that threaten our sense of, of well-being. Maybe they're actual physical dangers, but they're, they're threatening Life as we would define it as good and peaceful. And what does it do to us? What these storms do to us is they make us afraid. Right? They, they, they cause and give occasion for these internal storms to rise up in our hearts where fear is battering us. Where we're terrified because of what's happening on the outside and now there's, there's no calm in our own hearts. There's an internal storm that is raging. Now, what do we do in those moments? Often we do what the disciples do, right? We, we rightly go to Jesus, but we say, they say, save us, Lord, we're perishing. What, what do they mean by that? They mean, get us out of the storm. Do something about the storm, Jesus. Save us from it. Deliver us from it. If, if you take care of the storm, then everything will be okay again, right? That's what they're saying to him. Get us out of the storm, Lord. Do something. But that's not Jesus' agenda. It's not his primary agenda in this passage. They want deliverance from the storm, but Jesus wants to do something in them through the storm. And so we see these two storms, and then this leads to seeing two rebukes in verse 26. Two different rebukes. He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Jesus, we, we, we would want, if we were in the disciple situation, we would want him to wake up and say, thanks for waking me up, guys, and calm the storm, and, and, and do it, right, to rebuke the winds and the sea, but he doesn't do that first. And it's almost hard to really put yourself in that situation. This is happening, you're terrified, you're going to die, and, and 
What does he do? He rebukes you. Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? It almost seems harsh. Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? And when you think about it, is, is that even a right question? We might, we might, I mean, why am I afraid, Jesus? I'm afraid because we're about to die. I'm afraid because these waves are crashing over the boat, and I know boats, and I know the sea, and I know we're not going to make it out of this alive. Of course I'm afraid. And what do you mean, oh, you have little faith? I woke you up, didn't I? I mean, I woke you up because I believe you can do something about it. Why are you saying I don't have faith if I woke you up to save us from the storm? These are the types of thoughts the disciples might be thinking. But you see, Jesus isn't condemning their faith for waking him up and saying, save us from the storm. Jesus is rebuking them because they didn't believe he was in control of the storm in the first place. Jesus is rebuking them for not understanding who was with them in the boat all along. He's rebuking them for not believing that he is who he says he is and that he's the one that led them into this storm. Jesus is not like our weathermen today, no offense to James Spann, but our weathermen don't ever get it right. Like yesterday morning, it's supposed to not rain till 2 o'clock, and we had soccer, and at 10 o'clock we're there, and it's raining on us. They don't know, but Jesus would be a perfect weatherman, right? He would know all the time, here's the forecast. Jesus knew we're going to leave on a boat, and it's going to get choppy out there. He knew what was coming, and yet, and yet he led them into the storm. And the disciples are afraid. This external storm is creating this internal storm of fear in their lives. And he's saying, don't you know that I'm the one who put us in the storm? Don't you know that I'm in control of the storm? Why don't you believe? Why are you afraid? He rebukes the disciples, and then he rebukes the storm. He rebukes the winds, and the sea. And what we see happen, church, is a great calm. A great calm. Now, you shouldn't picture just a coincidence here where Jesus says, whatever he says to the winds and the sea, be still, right, what he says, and then just a gradual dissipation of the storm. You can say, well, maybe that was just the timing. No, we should picture a wave coming up to crash over the boat, and then, oh, I'm going to go back down, <laughs> right? It, 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 it was still. It stopped immediately so much that the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? They'd never seen anything like this. Whatever they thought Jesus was going to do when they woke him up, they didn't see this coming, that he would just immediately still the storm. And it makes them ask, what sort of man is this? But church, here's the thing this morning, is, is that this picture of calm, this, this immediate calming of the storm, this external storm they're in, this, this is what Jesus can do for us in our internal storms. This is what Jesus can do for us in, with our fears. He can calm the storms inside of us. And you know what he can do? It, he can do that without calming the storm outside of us. Jesus can cause this type of scene to happen in their own hearts without anything changing on the outside. And he does that when we grasp by faith what sort of man is this. Church, Jesus is sovereign over the storms 
and his purpose in them is that you would know him. His purpose in them is that you would grow in your faith. Jesus leading you into storms in your life is a grace because Jesus' priority, Jesus' mission in your heart is that you would see him and know him and find peace with him and in him. That, that is what Jesus is doing, church. We, we saying it earlier. Who sends the wave that brings us nigh onto the shore, the rock of Christ, the wave just it, it picks us up in it and it smacks us against the rock of Christ. And then we find our joy and our peace. And that is what Jesus is doing to these disciples. He's bringing them into the storm so that they can grow in their faith. He's exposing through their fear their little faith in him. And he's causing them to ask, what sort of man is this? And that is the question that we need to ask this morning. Just like there was a great calm of that external storm, there can be a great calm in our own hearts when we answer this question. What sort of man is this? And the passage shows us what sort of man this is. Most obviously, this is not just a man. This is no mere man. No mere man can stand up on a boat in the middle of the storm and say, be still, and have the waves retreat, and have the winds stop in their motion, have everything become a great calm and a, and a, and a beautiful day again. No, no man can do that. This is the prerogative of God alone. Jesus is revealing that he is God, that he is the divine creator of the world. He is revealing in this moment that he is the one who Psalm 29 says reigns as king over the flood. That is Jesus. He's not just a man, and yet he is a man. He is fully man and we see that by the fact that he's sleeping, right? He's sleeping in the boat. Why is he asleep? He's asleep because he's exhausted. He's asleep because Jesus has been healing people all day long. And we know from other stories in the Gospels that when Jesus healed, it, it in some mysterious way took strength from him. When the woman came and, and touched the hem of his garment, what did he say? I felt strength leave me. And that's just the hem of his garment. When Jesus healed, strength left him. He's been healing all day and all night, and now he gets into the boat, and what does he do? He crashes. Have you ever been just, just so dead, tired, that you could sleep through anything? That's because you're human, and, and we don't have limitless resources to keep on going, and neither did Jesus. He took on our humanness. He took on our frailty. He didn't just look like a man. He was a man, completely exhausted, from his day of ministry, that he could sleep through a storm. But then we ask the question, why, why if this is God, if this is the eternal creator, if this is, if this is someone who can co command winds and sea, then why would he take on humanity? Why would he take on this frailty? It's, it's, it's the question of the gospel is, 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 is you're seeing all these amazing things, but then but it's, in a, it's in a man. It's in, it's in a baby born in a manger. It's, it's in someone who doesn't have a place to sleep at night. It's in someone who, who crashes beneath the boat because he's so exhausted. Why? And the answer of the gospel is that Jesus 
came, the Son of God came and took on flesh so that he could endure the greatest storm in our place. Let's not forget, church, that in Scripture, storms are pictures of judgment. Storms are pictures of judgment. The very first storm, what was it? It was the flood. It was the flood. What was that? It was God's wrath on the sinful earth. Storms are pictures of God's judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that judgment day is going to be like the the rains coming and the winds beating and the floods rising. Jonah, when he was sinning against God, God sent a storm, a storm of judgment against Jonah until he was thrown into it. The storm would not calm. Jesus came to be thrown into the storm that we deserve. Jesus came to endure the storm of God's judgment. And this is our greatest fear. This should be our greatest fear. This, should be our, this is our greatest danger. We have sinned against our Creator. We have sinned against a holy, righteous God that made us for His glory in His image. We've rebelled against Him. We've said no to Him. And we have guilt and we have sin that must be paid for. And this God in grace sent His Son to take on flesh so that He could absorb the wrath in our place on the cross. That He could take on the storm of judgment in our place. And He creates a peace. He creates a peace with God because of His death and resurrection for us. This is why he came. This is the sort of man this is. He is the God-man who took our place on the cross to absorb the wrath of God so that we could be saved and have eternal life with him. And if this is who he is, then why are we afraid in the storms? If this is who he is, then why do these external storms create these internal storms of fear in our hearts? We know that he's sovereign over the storm. And even more, we know that he is with us in the storm. Jesus is with them in the boat. And he is with you in the boat this morning. If you have trusted in him, if you have come to him as your Savior and said, I need you, Lord. I I, I need what you did. I need your, your death for my sins and your resurrection. I put all my trust in you as the only one who can save me. If you come like the disciples and say, save us, Lord, I'm perishing. Save me, Lord, from my sin because I'm perishing and I will perish apart from you. If you trust in him, then he saves you. And and why are you afraid of all the other storms he might bring you? And all he is doing is strengthening your faith. That's what he's doing. He's growing you to see more and more who he is so that you can trust him, church. Church, I want to encourage you, whatever storms you are facing, to see them this morning as the grace of God in your life. These external storms are the grace of God to you because he is leading you to know who Jesus is. Not just in your head, but in your heart. To know, to see, to be, to be, to be confronted with what sort of man is this. And as you answer that question, as he leads you to see that, You can have the same sort of calm in your own heart, no matter what is happening with the storms on the outside. He has saved us from the greatest storm. He will one day calm every storm. Revelation says that the sea was like glass. No more storms on that day. And Jesus is keen over it all, but he's keen now, church. He's keen now over your life, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Ask him in the storms you're in right now to strengthen your faith 
Understand that he is being so good and gracious to you to put you in this storm. Because this is what you need. You need to know him. You don't just need deliverance out of the situation. You need Jesus. Praise God for his wisdom and his sovereignty and his love that pursues us in these ways. Let's pray.